good morning once again, Connection Point Church. We are so glad that you have chose to be with us today, whether it's here in person or online. just want to say thanks for, for joining us. Well, we're going to finish up 1 Thessalonians today, the entire chapter 5. We're going to get through it all this morning. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open there if you would. Now, as we are turning there, as you're, you're trying to find where that is, hopefully you know by now. Let me just share with you a little story of my week. So this week, on Monday, I got contacts. So I now have contacts. And if you're listening to this online later on and you aren't watching the video, but you're just listening, you'll, you won't notice that I have glasses on. <laughs> so Monday, I went to the eye doctor and I got contacts for the very first time in my life. In making this kind of change of life decision, I know it doesn't seem like a big deal to some of you, but I'd never even have been able to put eye drops in my eye, okay? So this is a pretty big step. I probably should have thought, hey, before you go and do that, you need to remember this is 2020, right? I mean, everything that could go wrong or is a little off has happened in 2020. So I went, and Monday, I got the contacts. Tuesday morning, I got up early, told Rachel I'm going to get up at 4 a.m. because it's going to take me a while. I got up early, not quite that early, and I tried for 30 minutes. No such luck. Tuesday morning, 30 minutes, no such luck. Now, let me just back up for just a moment, and again, this has nothing to do with this message today at all, zero. But Monday when I was at the eye doctor, we're waiting, and I'm waiting my turn. The one girl says, hey, let's go ahead and try some of these while we're waiting. You know, that way you can kind of get the feel for it. I'm like, yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. She's like, oh, no, I will help you. She put them in, no problem. And then the doctor's like, I'm ready. She took them out. Afterwards, it was my turn. <laughs> After, just say, some time went by, I got one in. And then she said, I think you're going to do fine at home with that other one. We'll just go ahead and let you do that other one from home. I'll show you how to get this one out. She didn't even try the second one in my eye. It took me so long. So anyhow, we got it out, and it all was good. Thursday morning, I got up and said, I ain't trying today. I'll wait till after work. I ain't got time, and I'll try it then. I got one in on Thursday. And when I got it in, I realized something don't feel just right. Then I realized I can't see. <laughs> the contact is in, but yet my eyesight is now worse than it was before. So I put my glasses back on, and I still couldn't see. Everything was blurry. Evidently, if you put it on inside out or backwards or upside down, whatever you want to call it, it doesn't work very well. So at this point, I didn't know if it was in or not because I can't see. <laughs> so I'm like, we, I bought, I forgot about the fact that I bought this magnifying mirror the day before, I still couldn't see with that either. So I'm looking, and I can't tell. Rachel's not there. She can't look. She's not there. And, and so I'm like, oh, i got to go to a meeting. Put my glasses on with one eye, and I went. And I just kept, you know, rubbing my eye and this and that. Luckily for me, we had a couple of missionaries at our meeting that I guess they loved me or they just loved the story. They looked, 
And they're like, it's in there. It's exactly where it's supposed to be. I'm like, well, thank God. I thought it, you know, done got stuck somewhere or I lost it somewhere. So I went home, tried to get it out, couldn't get it out still. I stuck a Q-tip in my eye trying to move this thing. I went from, I was wanting to get this thing out. I went from a week ago never putting an eye drop in my eye to now I'm sticking a Q-tip in my eye trying to get this contact out. I went to bed with it in. Thursday morning, I finally woke up, and I, I guess it, it was all dried out or something. If you wear contacts, you'll get it. If you don't, don't try them. Um, <laughs> I put a lot of um, drops in there, and it finally moistened it enough that it came loose, and I was able to get it out. I haven't tried again since. <laughs> I was going to try this morning, and I'm like, I'm not going to be able to read 1 Thessalonians <laughs> chapter 5 if I have a contact in backwards. So um, there, we'll bring it back around to 1 Thessalonians. Y are you all there? <laughs> all right. 1 Thessalonians um, chapter 5, beginning in verse number 1. It says this, But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. So in the last part of this letter to the Thessalonians, Paul wants to make sure that they understand this thing. He has no idea when Jesus is going to return. He tells them this isn't something that we even have to discuss. I've taught you nobody knows when he'll return. And even more important than that, Jesus himself taught it. He said this, but, well, it's not up there. I've got it here, though. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Paul is saying, since it's clear, no one knows exactly when this will happen, we don't need to spend a lot of time talking about the times and the seasons. Now, when Paul says times, it's the Greek word chronos. We get the word chronology from, which, which means um, an indefinite period of time, but it also has to do with events that follow one another. And the word seasons in the Greek is charon, meaning points of time consisting of occasions for uh, particular events. So Paul, in using these two words together, is saying when certain things happen, over an unknown period of time, at some unknown future date, then Jesus will come back. So crystal clear, right? Which is why he says, we don't even need to discuss this. But with dealing with end times events, the, the seasons can be looked at and observed. But since we don't know when that is exactly and what it's going to look like exactly, he's saying, just don't spend all your time consumed with this. You see, once you've actually spent some time studying the seasons of the end times and all that's wrapped up in it, you can understand that no single person is ever going to know exactly when Jesus is going to return. That being said, as a believer, we are given enough clues that it shouldn't come as a surprise when he does come. So what does Paul say about when the return of Christ will come? In verse 2, he said, when the day of the Lord comes, it will be like a thief in the night. In other words, the world of unbelievers, it will be very unexpected to them. It won't be a gradual thing that you'll be able to point to this event, followed by this event, and then when you see this event, immediately he will be here. 
No, he, 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 he said it's like a thief in the night and then sudden destruction. As believers, we are to be looking for his return, but unbelievers, it will hit them suddenly, he says, like labor pains upon a pregnant woman. In our world today, people say what they want. In our world today, there are plenty of atheists out there. In our world today, there are plenty of people who, who are mocking our Lord and in all that we say about his return. But I can promise you this, when the day of the Lord comes, he will be real and he will be known. And in this passage, when, when Paul is speaking of the day of the Lord, Paul is referring to, to the Lord dealing with unbelievers. While not speaking of the final judgment, it is a day where every person will be brought into judgment. And what I mean by that is those who know Jesus as Lord and Savior will be immediately caught up to meet him in the air. And those who do not know him will be left behind to face what Paul calls sudden destruction. When will this happen? Well, he says when, all, when people feel all is well. He says when they're saying peace and safety. When there is some sort of peace in the world, people will be living their life. They'll be living well as far as they know thinking, hey, everything is going to be great forever, as in the days of Noah. And then, and then the day of the Lord, it will bring sudden destruction. Can you imagine when a billion or two billion or maybe more people are here and then they're not here? Can you imagine those who are left, what it will be like when all of a sudden a billion plus people are just gone? Sudden destruction. Paul says, and they shall not escape. In the original Greek, that passage where we, we read, they shall not escape, it's actually more emphatic in the Greek. It translates this way. They shall not by no means escape. In other words, there is no hope. There is no way out. The day of the Lord will be a day of great joy for all true believers, and it will be the beginnings of sorrow for the unbeliever. But because God loves all people, his desire is that none would perish. Because that, because we know this, the way we le live our lives in the time leading up to his return is of utmost importance. And that's where Paul spends the bulk of the rest of this letter is talking about the way we live our lives with the knowledge that Christ will return. So in verses 4 and 5, he says this, But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Now, while we don't know exactly when he will return, we as believers are not in darkness. And because of this, we should not be overtaken and when he, when he uses that, over, that word overtaken, it literally translates take hold of by surprise. So when he returns, we shouldn't be taken hold of by surprise. Paul says, listen, when the Lord does come, it should not be a surprise to any of you who are a believer. He says, you're not in darkness. You have been taught, you have studied, and because of this, you should not be caught off guard. 
you are also not in the darkness of sin. As a believer, your mind is not constantly on the things of this world, or it should not be. You are not blinded by the spiritual realm. You are sons and daughters of light, meaning you are a child of God. And then he says, you are also a child of the day, meaning when the day of the Lord comes, you will not suffer the wrath of that day. You know, a lot of people as Christians walk around afraid of, oh, what, what are we going to do when the Lord comes? Listen, you don't have to be afraid. You need to be afraid for those who don't know him, but you don't need to be afraid or live in fear of what your outcome is. You are a child of the day. You are fully accepted by God because you are covered by the blood of Jesus. Because we are not in darkness and we know what lies ahead for both the believer and the unbeliever, we have a responsibility as to how to live. Look at what he says in verse number six. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. Here in this part of the letter, Paul gives some clear directives. He says, do not sleep, but instead watch and be slober, slobber, sober, sober. For those who love an afternoon nap, for those who love to sleep in, on Saturday morning. I'm not telling you you can no longer do that. That's not what Paul is saying here. Here he's referring to a spiritual sleep. Now, when you're physically sleeping, you're not aware of what's going on around you. Time just kind of passes by, doesn't it? Completely unaware of what is happening. When I sleep, a storm could come through in the middle of the night. I could wake up the next morning to, to limbs on the ground, debris everywhere, and I'd be like, did it rain last night? I won't even hear it. Totally clueless as to what's going on while I'm asleep. I woke up a mor uh, one morning, a few, I woke up every morning, I guess. But one morning when I woke up a few months ago, I would come down the stairs. This was on a Sunday morning, Saturday nights. So I go to bed early. I walk down the stairs, and there is everything in our foyers pulled out from the walls. Everything in our dining room is pulled out. There was a barricade at the bottom of the stairs, what looked like a barricade. Turns out it was a barricade because this was the night that somehow Jacob got Rachel to let a snake into the house. <laughs> and they chased this snake around the house. They never saw it leave, but they believe it did. Several months later, I can tell you we have not seen this snake, and it was pretty good size, so I'm assuming we would have seen it by this point in time. But I walked downstairs, and I was like, what happened? How did all of this go on while I was sleeping? Because when we're asleep, we're unaware, right? We, we don't know what's going on. In fact, this morning, Rachel texts me. She's like, I didn't even hear you when you got ready and, you know, when you left this morning. Can I tell you, if you're spiritually asleep, you're not going to hear or see the bride when she's getting ready. And you're not going to see the bride when she leaves this earth. you got to be awake. If you allow yourself to fall spiritually asleep, you're not going to see the serpent 
come in through the door or under the tent as we, we heard about in Jude, if you'll remember back then. You got to be awake. You cannot be spiritually asleep. Because if you're spiritually asleep, you're not involved in the things of God. And because of this, you may just be surprised when the Lord returns. That's why Paul says, you are not to sleep, but you are to watch and to be sober. Watching refers to being on the lookout, waiting for the return of Christ. And to be sober means to be alert, live a life of godliness. Paul says, let us not sleep as others, referring to unbelievers. But no, he's speaking to believers here. So in other words, he's warning them not to follow like those who do not believe. He's warning them because some believers evidently had begun to fall asleep. I'm telling you, this is true today as well. Especially during this time of COVID with people coming to church, not coming to church and all of that. It's so convenient to just quick, grab a quick download of a message and go on with your week without ever taking the time to worship with the family of God, without taking the time to fellowship with the family of God, without taking the time to pray with the people of God. And if you missed Wednesday night, we had a great time of prayer in here. I want to encourage you this Wednesday, be here at 7 o'clock. We had an incredible time. It's been easy during this pandemic to fall spiritually asleep. And when we begin to doze, it's easy to let our spiritual disciplines to slip as well. If we're not spiritually awake, we may find ourselves slipping into the things of darkness. Look at verse number 8. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a, and as a helmet the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or whether we are awake or sleep, we should live together with him. Let us, who are of the day, be sober. If you are not sober, you are not thinking clearly. You're not on guard. While this is not a lesson on drinking, let me just tell you this. One drink changes your mental alertness. One drink begins to lower your guard. One drink moves you in the wrong direction. Don't go down the road of one drink. Instead, stay sober. Stay protected. Guard your mind. How? Paul says, put on the armor of God. Put on the breastplate of faith and love. We have to, to believe or have faith that Jesus saves us. And if we do that... We will want to stay sober. We will want to live righteously. We will be looking for his return. When we begin to understand how incredible his love is for us, we can't help but love him back. And we'll want to remain sober and alert. He says, put on the helmet, the helmet of salvation, the helmet of hope. We've got to clothe our mind with his thoughts. Our thoughts must continually be upon him. If we do not focus our thought life on him, the enemy will give us plenty to think about. We got to protect our thought life. We got to guard it against the things of this world. He says, stay sober and alert. Church, God has appointed us to salvation and not wrath. But we got to stay awake. Because we know this, we have no excuse to fall asleep. 
We have no excuse to fall back into the world of darkness that he rescued us from. If we are asleep, if we are not sober, we are in danger of his wrath. Christ died so that we wouldn't have to be. Christ died so that we wouldn't be subject to death. Christ died so that we could be with him for all of eternity. That's good news. That is great news. And then Paul says, because of that, therefore, because of all these things, therefore, comfort each other and edify one another just as you also are doing. He's saying you're doing a good job of it. Keep doing it. Don't stop. Continue to encourage one another. Continue to lift one another up so that no one will fall asleep. And then in verse 12, he says, And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sakes. Be at peace amongst yourselves. Man, isn't that great that we have that verse today when y'all are just loving on us? Did y'all read ahead and know that we were going to be in 1 Thessalonians 5 and we're like, we are going to love on the pastors today. <laughs> How about that? Paul says, do this. You guys did great. <laughs> he gives a couple of directives here. First, he says, recognize those who labor. That word labor there means to labor to the point of exhaustion and then to keep on laboring, to continue to work beyond what one is capable of doing. So pastors, have you ever felt like that, that you've labored to the point of exhaustion? That's what Paul says to do. That's, that's what he's saying you are to do. But his point is twofold there. One, he's saying, listen, the minister of the gospel is to work to the point of exhaustion, ministering to the church. But two, the believers are to recognize it. And that word recognize means to appreciate, respect, and to know the value of. He says church leaders are to be highly esteemed for their work's sake because of the work they do. Not because of the position they hold, because some people will call themselves something, but not do the thing, right? He says, for the work that they hold, for the work that they do, church leaders are to be highly esteemed for their work's sake. They serve Christ, they serve church, they serve the believers. And because of this, he says, believers owe to them because of their sacrificial service. You guys are doing awesome at that, let me just say. Thank you so much for how you appreciate the pastoral staff here. Then Paul says, y'all are to be at peace. Be at peace yourselves, speaking specifically to the believer here. He's saying, listen, you're not to criticize one another. You're not to backbite one another. You're not to gossip about one another. He's saying, listen, Christian, you should get along. You know, you should maybe even love one another. Love one another as Christ loved the church. Then he says in verse number 14 and 15, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all, see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. Here in this passage, he, he continues with how we should have how we should behave towards one another. He says, warn the unruly. Look at how the Amplified says it. I love this. It says this, and we earnestly beseech you, brethren, admonish, warn, and seriously advise. 
those who are out of line, the loafers, the disorderly, and the unruly. Encourage the timid and faint-hearted. Help and give your support to the weak souls and be very patient with everybody. Always keeping your temper. That don't mean keeping a bad temper. It's, it's different from that. Again, this is specifically towards those who are within the body of Christ. People outside the body are going to act like they act. But those who are inside, Paul says, there's ex- no excuse for the way you're acting. He's saying, don't do, don't do that. And when you see someone acting unruly in a way that they shouldn't, he says, seriously advise them. Those who are, are unruly are in danger. God won't put up with this kind of behavior, and neither should we. Comfort the faint-hearted. Those who are easily discouraged, those who are disappointed, those who, who maybe fear difficult situations, he's saying comfort them. He doesn't say rebuke them, despise them. No, he says comfort them, assure them. This is so important right now. I've seen far too many Christians do just the opposite towards other believers during this time. Because of I, I've heard Christians who would, who would see someone who would maybe want to wear a mask say, you just don't have enough faith. I've heard it said in this very church and had to correct people for saying it. Paul, Paul doesn't say rebuke them. Paul said, I mean, we're supposed to rebuke someone who does that. I'm talking about the other. Paul says comfort those who are weak. He says encourage them. But correct those who bring division. Then he says be patient towards all people. Right after he says be patient, do you know what he says next? And he says, then see that no one renders evil for evil. Be patient, and then see that no one renders evil for evil. In in other words, he's saying, listen, there are going to be people who mistreat you. There are going to be people who do evil to you. And what do you do? He doesn't say retaliate. He doesn't say get even. He says, see that no one renders evil for evil. When someone sees someone mistreat someone and especially listen people see how you respond when we mistreat someone an unbeliever sees it they see how we respond now they don't always see that we were mistreated first though do they they do see our response often though don't they it's like a ref on a a a field or on a court They may not see the initial infraction, but I can promise you this, they always see the retaliation. They always see what you do back. It's the same with the outside people. When when they see you retaliate against someone, especially someone that's within the church, too. What have we done to our Christian witness when we do that? When we repay evil for evil, I can tell you this, we've lost our Christian witness when an unbeliever sees that. Instead of evil, Paul says, always pursue what is good. Verses 16 to 22, real quick, he says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, 
Test all things, hold fast to what is good, abstain from evil, abstain from every form of evil. What kind of things are we to do? He said, rejoice always. I'm pretty sure we have some things to be thankful for. Remember the pit you were in? Aren't you thankful you're not, you're, you're not in that pit anymore? You remember how we were in chains of bondage to sin, and now we walk in the freedom of Christ? You remember how you were bound for hell? You're not headed there anymore? I hope. When the day of the Lord comes, you are not appointed the wrath, according to Scripture. We have some things to rejoice for. He's your provider, your healer, your salvation, your peace, your comfort. He is with you. He gives you victory. The world may be against you, but guess what? Greater is he that is within you. We've got to stop walking around letting the enemy steal our joy. He says, rejoice always, pray always. You aren't seeing the results you want. Maybe you aren't spending enough time in prayer. And also remember, prayer is a two-way street. It's a communication. Maybe the time you're spending in prayer and you're not seeing the results is because all you're doing is telling him what you want and what you need and, and how he needs to do it instead of stopping and listening for his voice, his direction, and his will. Because if you take time to listen for his will you'll probably start praying His will, and you'll probably start seeing some results. He says, give thanks in all things. In other words, no matter the situation, no matter what you're going through, you can know this, you're not going through it alone. You can know that He is with you, and in Him you have a promise of victory ahead. This is the will of God. What is the will of God? He said that you rejoice, that you pray, and that you give thanks. That is the will of God. And he says, don't, don't suppress the spirit. Don't, don't, don't just silence the spirit. Give him access to, to move in your life. Do not despise prophecies. So don't automatically dismiss prophecy or the prophetic, but instead test it and hold on to what is good. Yes, prophecy may have been given a bad rap because of abuse. But we don't throw out the, the baby with the bathwater, so they say. Test the prophetic against the word of God. Hold on to the things that are good. Abstain from all appearances of evil. Not just abstain from evil, but from all appearances of evil. If it's gray area... Stay away. If it could be perceived as evil, stay away. Don't have anything to do with evil or even the appearance of it. Verse 23 and 24 says this. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of the, our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. And aren't you glad that he is faithful? Here Paul says, now if you will follow my instructions, you can experience the peace of God. If you will do these things that I've talked to you about, 
you can know that you will be sanctified completely, holy. You can know that you will be set apart and under God's care and his provision and under his protection. You can know that you are preserved blameless when the day of the Lord comes. You can know if you will do these things, if you will stay awake and not fall asleep, if you will continue to to look to him, always watching, keeping your thoughts focused towards him. You know you will not be caught off off guard. You will not be surprised, but instead you will be ready to receive your full reward. Notice it says whole spirit, body, and soul. That includes all those who have gone on before. They can count on God to bring them with him because God is faithful. If you are a true believer, you can know that God continues to work. He continues to work on you until the day of the Lord. Paul wraps up with verse number 25. He says, brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. And at the end of this letter, he says, pray for us. He doesn't ask them to. He doesn't suggest they do it. He says, pray for us. It's a command to the believers. It's, it's a command for the believers, for those members of the church to pray for the ministers. He didn't just say, pray for me. He said, pray for us, referring to all of those who are serving in ministry. He's saying, we need your prayer. We need your prayer to do what God has called us to do. And he says, greet greet the brethren with a holy kiss. Now, while this practice in the Western world is not practiced, not today anyhow, the care and affection that it represents should be. The, the love for one another should be represented. Then he says, read this epistle or this letter to all the holy brethren. That's exactly what we've done over the last seven weeks. We've read this entire letter word for word without skipping anything. Some of it's a little easier to read than others. Some of it's a little easier to accept than others. But he said, read this, all of it. But then we got to walk in it, too. We can't just read it. We got to begin to live it. It's so important that, that all believers know and understand what is at stake. The return of Christ. The day of the Lord. It will come like a thief in the night. And we must be awake, we must be sober, we must be watching, we must be vigilant. We must be ready. But we must be sharing this news with those who do not know. Because this day is coming. And for some, it will come like a thief in the night. And we have a responsibility to warn them, to encourage them to let them know that does not have to be their end. That Jesus came, that he gave his very life so that none should perish, 
and that there is a way, and that way is the blood of Jesus. Finally, he says this in verse number 28, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, amen. And that is my prayer for you today as well. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, amen. Let's pray. Father,